Good afternoon. And welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm Carla Hayden, Executive Director, and I'm very pleased that you could join us today for our annual Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Commemorative Lecture. And you may know that this program is made possible with our partner, the Baltimore Community Relations Commission. And this afternoon, we're very, very honored to have as our special guest speaker, Senior Bishop John Bryant of the National African Methodist Episcopal Church. Please give him a hand. As the nation and the world gets ready to turn, we think a new chapter in its history. I believe, and I think you'll agree, that it will be very interesting to hear Dr. Bryant's insights today in his lecture entitled, Dreams That Live. The work and the impact of Dr. King is immeasurable. And our commemorative lecture reminds everyone to keep his dream alive, not only every year, but every day. I'd also like to, before we begin, um, encourage all of you to look at our latest Compass uh, newsletter. That's the library's newsletter because we have a number of events and programs that are coming up that we think that might be of interest to you. Back to this occasion, though. To introduce our special speaker today is a very good friend of the Pratt Library and of the city. He is currently the executive director of the Baltimore Community Relations Commission. Alvin Gillard is a Baltimore native who has been the head of the CRC since 1996. And this commission and agency has the responsibility of accepting and investigating complaints of unlawful discrimination in the areas of employment, public accommodations, education, housing, health, and welfare agencies. And during Mr. Gillard's tenure, the Community Relations Commission has focused on issues of equality, equity and fairness in employment in both the public and the private sectors. He's also developed wonderful outreach programs designed to overcome racial and cultural barriers while still promoting diversity and inclusion. And some of you may recognize him from his regular program on the City Cable uh, channel, and we tease him about this quite a bit. Uh, but we're very pleased to have him here this afternoon to welcome our special guest, Mr. Alvin Gillard. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank Carla, and I'm most appreciative of your kind words and for the continued partnership enjoyed by the Enoch Pratt and the Community Relations Commission. Like Carla, I'd also like to express my appreciation for your presence here this afternoon. And with everything that's going on in our city this weekend and in our region coming up this week, we know that it may have been a challenge for some of you to be here. So we are eternally grateful that you were able to make it. It's my great honor to introduce our lecturer for this afternoon, Bishop John Richard Bryant, Bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Bishop Bryant, son of the late Bishop Harrison James and Edith Holland Bryant, was elected and consecrated the 106th Bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church at the 1988 General Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. He holds undergraduate and graduate degrees from Morgan State, Boston University, and Colgate-Rochester Divinity School, as well as numerous honorary degrees. Bishop Bryant has and continues to be a preacher, pastor, servant, 
leader, listener, advocate, agitator, instructor, inspirer, messenger, and mentor. Dr. King once said, rarely do we find men who willingly engage in hard, solid thinking. There's an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions. Nothing pains some people more than having to think. And as we sit on the cusp of witnessing the first man of color, an African-American man, be sworn in as President of the United States, too many of us are ready to abdicate our responsibility to think, to do, and to become, simply because it's easy. So please join me now in welcoming a former Martin Luther King Jr. Fellow, a thoughtful, insightful proclaimer who will make us think. Welcome Bishop John Bryant. Bishop. Praise the Lord. Well, praise God. Uh, when uh, I was driving up this afternoon, my, my mind turned to my family reunion on my wife's end. She has an uncle that we call Uncle Buddy. And Uncle Buddy is an active alcoholic. Uh, No shame in his game. I mean, at the family reunion, he lets it all hang out. In your face, over the table, in your conversation, but the whole family reveres Uncle Buddy. So upon entering the family, I've wondered initially, who is this drunk guy? And why did they let him break up the family reunion every year? And finally it came to me, he's family. And they love him. Well, today I feel like Uncle Buddy. This crowd has to love the library and John Brandt. <laughs> when I found out that the president-elect would be through town today, I said, now that's going to wash our situation right out. But thank God for those who showed up for the family reunion. The other part of my life, I always felt that I had only dreamed twice. And the two dreams were very significant for me. Uh, the first time that, that I said I dreamed was uh, in... 1953, 
I dreamed that God had called me to be a preacher. And when I woke, I told God yes. And I've held on to that until now I'm a senior citizen. (laughs) The second dream took place eight years later. In the dream, I was attending my elder brother's funeral. At the time, I was 18 and he was 20. We were in the church. I could see the people, the eulogist. My mother woke me and then shared with me that my brother had just died. And from that point, I always said I've only had two dreams and I could always recount those dreams in detail. While sitting in class at Morgan College in those days, I shared that reality. And my professor said to me he was certain that I was wrong. So I said, no, I've only had two dreams in my life. He said, no, you've had more. I said, I don't think so. He said, I do. He said, and and I can awaken you to your dream life. I said, how? He said, when you go to bed, take a pencil and pad with you. And before sleeping, remind yourself that you will dream, but you need to remember. And as soon as you wake up, whether it's in the middle of the night in the morning get the pad and write down what you remember using that technique I discovered that I too am a dreamer I listen very carefully and I I try my best to read very carefully and everything uh, that was sent to me asked me to lecture. So they asked a preacher to lecture. Uh, Now, what's the difference between a lecture and a sermon? Well, the only thing I could think is that a preacher takes a text, and I didn't, so I'm lecturing. 
no matter what it begins to sound like, it's a lecture. In the 36th chapter of Genesis, that's not my text, that's just my reference. We are introduced to one who is probably the greatest dreamer in scripture. His name is Joseph. And when we encounter him, he's 17, 17 years of age, and he has just had a dream. And he shares the dream with his family. And in the dream, his mother, his father, his brothers all bow down and honor him. The dream gets him in trouble. But he has it. Now, this is not... Um, strange for biblical context. In scripture, God communicates through dreams and foretells the future of persons and individuals via the medium of dreams. Dreams and visions, the AM and FM bands of scripture, whereby God speaks to humankind. And so God speaks to Joseph, and we learn much in the exchange we learn in the exchange that even though dreams foretell, sometimes the foretelling is imminent and at other times it is at a great distance. At 17, Joseph had a dream of all of his glory. But his dreams got him in trouble. And he went from the dream couch to a pit. From a pit to being sold into slavery. From being sold into slavery, he is imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. He dreamed at 17, but the glory didn't come until he was almost middle-aged. But Joseph reminds us that no matter how long it takes, there's some things that have to take place. The dreamer has to be aware that even when the dream has a wonderful ending, you will not 
walk there on easy street, that there are some struggles and some challenges and some opposition, but the dreamer must hold this in mind and be committed to the dream. The dreamer must not only have tenacity, but ought have faith that even though the dream tarries, that if the dream holds any reality for you, before the dream can ever live, you've got to be able to hold on to it through the long haul. Joseph held on. And what he dreamed at 17 came true at midlife. Not only his family, but a whole nation honored him. Five thousand years later, another dreamer appeared. A young man, PhD in social ethics from Boston University School of Theology before he was 27. Effective preacher, a major orator, civil rights activist, community organizer. And yes, a dreamer. He came along in the period of America's nightmare of racial discrimination. The older ones in the room can remember job discrimination, housing discrimination, voting discrimination. Couldn't eat in certain restaurants. Could buy shoes but couldn't wear, couldn't try them on. Could buy a suit in downtown Baltimore but couldn't try it on first. Not allowed in amusement parks, beaches, movie houses. Couldn't drink from certain water fountains. Oh, I can remember driving from Baltimore to Georgia, South Carolina, and before you leave home, you pack your bologna sandwiches and loaf of bread and knee-high orange soda. And on the way, you would see hotels, but know they were not for you. You would see restaurants and know that they're not for you. 
I had the privilege of seeing my dad go to jail, trying to integrate Gwen Oak Amusement Park. I had the privilege of going to jail myself as a college student trying to integrate Northwood Cinema House. And this dark night of rejection, Martin Luther King Jr. dad dream. He dreamed in all of this rejection, in all of this discrimination, he dreamed that there was a God who would stand with blacks, poor, the oppressed. He dreamed that the time would come where justice would run down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He dreamed that truth crushed to the ground would rise again. He dreamed that we as a people would overcome. He dreamed at 27 but before his dream could live, a 17-cent bullet tore into his skull while he stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. But before that terrible day, we watched him hold on to his dream. Hold on to his dream while some folk called him communists. Hold on to his dream where at a time when many blacks rejected him when he left the American scene and dared have comment about our presence at the Vietnam War. He dreamed amidst fire hoses and yelping dogs jailed imprisonment. Nothing was strong enough to separate him from his dream. And I can remember the day he died. I thought my world would come to an end and I thought that dreams were nothing but fancies that represented nothing. Standing on the corner at my school in Boston, Massachusetts, in Boston, Massachusetts, in, in Boston, not snake-eyed Mississippi, but in Boston, Massachusetts, when a car full of people rode by and yelled out at me, we finally got 
your Martin Luther Coon. I was through with dreams, but Martin never was. He dreamed it until the day he died. But 40 years later, here comes another dreamer. And because I had surrendered so much of my dreams, when this dreamer came along, I dismissed him as a dreamer. I said at Howard University, speaking there, I said, I am so glad that I am not a friend of Barack Obama's. I said to them, I am so glad that I am not a person that he knows and a person whose opinion he respects. I said, because if he had made the mistake to call me and tell me he was dreaming about running for president and Bishop, what is your opinion? I would have told him to put the phone down, go into the bathroom, look in the mirror. You're a black man in America. That's not going to happen. Non-dreamers, if you let them, will kill the dream of dreamers. And so this young man, dad dream that he could get votes in Iowa. Not in D.C., not in Baltimore, but in Iowa. He dared dream that hope is more powerful than fatalism. He dared dream that love is more powerful than hate. He dared dream that all things are possible for those who can hold on. My professor said, John, you do dream. Get a pencil. Get a paper. Write it down. It will help you hold on to your dreams. Say to yourself before you sleep, I do dream. 
it'll make a difference. So in prison, Joseph said, I do dream. And those fellow prisoners took him up on it. And he was able to interpret their dreams and his success took him out of jail. Write it down, the professor said. And so Martin Luther King Jr. spoke it over and over and over again. Even when we got sick and tired of hearing it, he, he kept the same dream. We, we kept shouting, I'm black and I'm proud. And he kept saying, love those that despitefully use you. And he wrote it down, pencil to paper, key to paper, pencil to toilet paper, that if there is a God, Righteousness will prevail. Write it down, John. You do dream. Write it down. And so, this latter-day dreamer dreams from my father. The audacity of hope. Write it down. So you do not forget. We're on sacred ground. Enoch Pratt, free library. It, it is a marvelous enabler for dreamers. And for those who need to remember the dream. And so, this afternoon, all the traffic is being blocked. <laughs> the vendors are on every corner selling their wares. Cameramen and newswomen have assembled. But somewhere in the tradition of my faith, there is one, no, there is two. No, there are a multitude who can now rest a little easier. Dreams do live. And so we now have visas. We now have permission. We now have License to dream. 
But before you begin the exercise, remember that dreaming is easy. All it takes is a bed and a little quiet and enough fatigue and enough oppression and enough weariness. But before the dream can ever live, the dreamer has to go through something. You've got to survive some pits and some prisons. You have to be able to stand against some opposition. But when it doesn't come easy, doesn't mean it's not coming. It simply means you've got to roll up your sleeves and be committed more than ever before that the dream will live. Give your children permission to dream. Others have done it. So often we had not because we would not want them to be disappointed. And so we tell them, get your head down from the clouds. Stop thinking you're so high and mighty. Be realistic. We can stop that now. We have permission to dream and then to work the dream and to fight for the dream and to defend the dream and to lift the dream and for God's sake to protect other dreamers because if your dream lives my dream stands a better chance And so thank you for allowing me to come and share the afternoon with some dreamers. Questions? Any? I think they want you to use this mic if you do. Good afternoon to you, Bishop. Good afternoon. If I can just take 10 seconds to share who I am, not that that's important per se. But, it's uh, very important. Well, thank you, sir. I pastor the church directly across the street, the New Unity Church. Of course, you know Dr. Walter Thomas and yeah. my pastor, Dr. Harold Carter, and all the rest, Dr. Vaughn, and all the great pastors of this city whom I have watched, including you. Mm. And just parenthetically, I probably would have been an AME had you not left when you did. <laughs> I 
I was searching. I had just left my Pentecostal church, and I was searching for a church. And just as I was about to join Bethel, you left, so I wound up being a Baptist joined Dr. Carter <laughs> at Shiloh. I was blessed this morning, real quickly, to go over to Senator McCulsky's office and to Senator Sarbanes, or Senator Carter's office to pick up my tickets for the inaugural. Yes. And uh, so I'm very... And they had called me last week, and I actually forgot, and they called me and said, we, we're going to be here for another 20 minutes. You've got to get your way through all that downtown traffic some way and get here, and I was fortunate to do so. My question, though, Bishop, is that, that for the dreamers, for those who, who dream, how, what is that, that demarcation? What is that distinctive thing that you say all of us dream, but what is it that, that helps to propagate that dream? I don't know if I'm forming the question right. Oh, you are. But what is it that, 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 that instills in a person that, that ability to not only just dream, but this di differentiates them from the rest who, who fail to dream or fail to, to come to a place where that dream is realized or have that, that hope or the expectation that the dream will be realized in their life? Thank you. Um, the, uh, my professor told me that uh, I have to be numbered with those who are not as psychologically healthy. He said that those who can more easily recount their dreams are in more psychological balance. And those who can never recall are not at peace with their subconscious. Yeah. The professor opened me up. And that's what we have to do for each other. Um, we have to call out the dreamer in each other. That's extremely important. Um, I was in Amsterdam about a month ago. And in the airport, people were walking up to me, strangers, saying, congratulations. <laughs> you are an American, aren't you? <laughs> yes, congratulations. When I arrived in South Africa, we won. We won. Uh, dreamers beget dreamers. And black America did not elect Barack Obama. We're not that strong. We're not that big. America elected Barack Obama.
he tapped into a void that was present. We had come to a part in our history where we have been starving for hope. And he comes along with that kind of of message. And so those who are dreamers, Pastor, must be actively involved in waking that up in others. And when we see it, call it out, congratulate it, blow on it, that it might grow and might expand. I had an experience, I was on the airplane several months back. I live on the airplane. <laughs> I was on the airplane several months back and a couple was, two ladies were sitting in front of me and they were talking. And one lady said, asked the other, where do you live? So she said, I live in Chicago. So she said, you, you wouldn't have anything to do with Obama, would you? <laughs> so she said, well, I do work for that campaign. She said, please tell him thank you for my mother and myself. She said, we own a business, uh, early childhood education. And she said, my mother has been wearing the Obama image out. (laughs) Sit up, sit up, boys and girls, sit up straight. Barack would not slouch. Barack would not slouch. When you speak, enunciate, enunciate, children. <laughs> so what, what waters it, what breathes on it, is that when we see other dreamers, to point it out, and these dreamers are not just King Joseph images. Many of us were raised by dreamers. And when they shared their dream, for many it seemed impossible, but here you sit. And so we have to point out other dreamers and shine the light on those dreamers and encourage the dreams to take place. One of the worst things, one of the worst shows, I can't stand the thing, be honest with you. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it's, uh, and they do it for entertainment. That's, um, uh, what's the name of that thing? It's a talent show and it's America's in the name. American Idol. <laughs> yeah, American Idol. Uh, the, the, the man. Salmon, who has become very popular, reducing people. Oh, no. No. Uh, But to encourage, to encourage, to encourage. Uh, Now, while saying that, I have to say that we also have to say to dreamers, resist. Resist, resist. Uh, 
In other words, don't let anybody separate you. I went to Baltimore City College and was told by my uh, head teacher in front of the whole class that I was not college material. That's what he told me. Yeah. You're not college material. Yeah. So they invited me back. to induct me into the Hall of Fame. (laughs) And when they did, now, the the look of the school is now entirely different. I went there the, I think it was the fifth year of integration. And, um, but now it's complete flip of the script. So when they introduced me, they introduced me as this genius this marvelous student. And they knew from the beginning I was going to be a great man. And I mean, they made it sound so good I wanted to eat it up. But when I got up, I had to tell the truth. I said, it's not true. I barely got through this place. And there were those who told me I didn't have what it took. But thank God I had a mother and a father who told me I could, could make it. But we have to tell those around us, hold on to your dreams. Don't let any individual separate you from your uh, dreams. And you got to walk in faith. Walk in faith. Now, I, uh, I, I might as well confess I believe God is all over this thing that's going on now. (laughs) A friend called me up. (laughs) I hate to even tell you this. A friend called me up on November 5th. Said, Bishop. I said, yes. He said, you remember it was a year ago today. Uh, I was driving you to the airport. I said, yeah, okay, I remember. He said, you remember all the way we were talking about how Barack Obama would never be president? (laughs) I said, yeah, I remember. He said, you remember what we said? I said, I remember everything I said. I said he wasn't going to be elected president because he was black and in America. I said he wasn't going to be elected president because he was going up against the greatest democratic machine in the country. I said he wasn't going to be president because he wouldn't be able to raise the money. I said he wasn't going to be president because he had the wrong name. Who ever heard of America? with a president named Barack Hussein Obama. But God. 
Praise God. Any other question? Bishop, my name is Hello. Christine Kindeke. I'm from Congo. Uh -huh. I would like to know <coughs> when you say yes to God as a dreamer, are there steps to take? You just did it. <laughs> uh, you, you say yes holding in your mind that saying yes comes with demands that it's not necessarily going to be easy. Uh, my son used to have a phrase he loved. He talked about sweatless victory. And he could get excited talking about sweatless victory. And I said to him once, uh, Jamal, do you know most victories are not sweatless. They, they take so much from you. With Joseph, it took him to the pit, to jail. With King, it took him to prison, to rejection, being vilified, separation from his family. With Obama, I... I gained such respect now it's probably what they've been doing for years but I wasn't paying attention before but every day day after day going from place to place watching every word that you say and having those watching for just one word one slip to use it on you to, to be in that that kind of pressure cooker and never blow up. I mean, there were times that I was hollering at my television. <laughs> huh? but, but yet, uh, the person, the dreamer, held on to the composure. So you have to, you have to remind yourself that you believe that this is doable, that this is good, that this is right, uh, and no matter what it takes, I'm going to hold on to it, be committed to it, and to understand that sometimes it's not imminent. Sometimes it doesn't even happen in your lifetime. But if it's worthy, it's worth the wait that when it does come. And that's what I meant about the great cloud of witnesses um, that King didn't see. He, he dreamed about little white boys and little white girls and little black boys and little black girls will join hands together and sing free at last. I was, I was on that field in Grant Park when he went over and that was uh, I, I have, I have um, 
three fields that stirred my life. Uh, I was on the field at the March on Washington when he, King, did the I Have a Dream speech. And some years later, I was in Bethlehem Field on Christmas Eve. And they asked everybody there who was there from around the world to recite the Lord's Prayer in their own language. And it felt like to me I could see the lights to the holy city. And then in Grant Park to watch the beloved community come together irregardless of race and status and gender in celebration. So even when the dream comes with difficulty, when it comes, it's worth the effort. Good morning, Bishop. Uh, yes, sir. I just wanted to ask you a question. What do you do when you have a dream from God, but you don't want to step out at the wrong time? You want to step out at the time that is designated, but you hear people say, well, God, sometimes God, sometimes you're waiting on God, and God is waiting on you. How do you know when to step out so you be in his time and you won't be just out there? Oh, we. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good one. Uh, I often tell people that God not only gives you the broad stroke, but He can also give you detail. Um, and I've always said the first thing you do is say yes, even when you're not certain of the time. You say yes, and what I tell people. If you have not yet had that experience, but know that there is that possibility, begin to pray that when you feel or ascertain the will of God on your life, that no matter what it looks like, that you will be able to say yes to it. Uh, and then begin to ask him just that question, is this the time or should I wait? Uh, but once you said yes, you don't have to be anxious. Because if it is the time, he'll let you know. Uh, I think if we rush, we got an hour to get to the war memorial. <laughs> but we also, we also have a reception downstairs. And Forget the war memorial, y'all come to <laughs> We have refreshments, and Bishop Bryant will be signing uh, copies of his book that are available out there. And we want to just thank you, Bishop Bryant, for making the Pratt Library. Thank you for making the Pratt Library a blessed place today. Thank you.